Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I want to talk to you about the family of God, and you can be seated. I thank the Lord for the twofold power that we have, the power of the Spirit of God that we've just been experiencing here, and the power of the Word of God, and they both originate from the same source. And the strength of this church, of your family, and your life resides in a balance of both. That we experience the supernatural power of God, but it is directed by the Word of God. So I thank the Lord for what He's already done here today, what He just did by the power of His Spirit. But I believe the Word of God gives us something to work with. When the Spirit moves, it is the Word that gives direction to the Holy Ghost. Amen. So that's why I feel directed of the Lord to to minister today. God's plan for society involved the family. A husband and wife would form a marriage. Marriage would be a type of Christ in the church. And husband and wife in the bonds of marriage would, would fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply and to replenish the earth. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They are a reward from God. And the value of children that are nurtured, that are raised to love God, give us a strong culture a society that is godly. I read today that we are part of the household of God, and that that word household is is in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and is very prominent and important for us to understand that the family, the household, is important to God. It's used many times in the Old Testament and New Testament. And in the Old Testament, national life of Israel revolved around the family the old patriarchal days when that oldest male leader was the head of the home. He might have sons and grandsons and great-grandsons, but as long as he was alive, he was that family leader. He was the head of the house. He was the patriarch. In some families, there was that matriarch, that mother who was there. When God called Abraham, he said about Abraham... I know that he will command his family and his household, not just his kids, not just his children, but all of his descendants. He will call them to walk in the right way. That's how God saw Abraham, the household. I was raised in a rather large family. My grandfather, grandmother had six daughters. The only son they had died at childbirth. So six girls 19 grandchildren, but I grew up where Daddy Doc, my grandfather, James O. Johns, was that patriarchal leader of the family. Now, never doubt that Sarah Ruth Johns, 
my grandmother, whom we called Nana, she was the neck that turned the head, and she was very influential. But when Daddy Doc said that this is the way it would be, that was the way it would be. In those days, the razor strap said that if I tell you once and you don't do it, there's no counting to three. It's just the law of the land. That's the way my mother was raised. My youngest aunt of those six girls was named Carol Denise because she was the baby and separated by years and Two of her older five sisters had picked out a name for her. One aunt said, I want her to be called Carol. And another aunt said, Denise. So she was named Carol Denise. She was growing up quite confused by Carol Denise. Carol Denise. So one day my grandfather, that patriarch, called all the family together and said, this is confusing. And so her name will be Denise. And for that day forward, her name became Denise because Daddy Doc said it. That's the way it was. And that ended the discussion just like that. That's pretty good, right? And all the men that wish it was that way in your family, say amen. And all the men that were afraid to say amen, say amen. Yeah, see, that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. What I'm really worried about is the man that looked at his wife and said, is it okay <clears throat> if I say amen? <clears throat> In the New Testament, when, when a family head was converted and came to God, he usually brought his entire family with him. If he was a leader of that clan, of that home, that household, whatever he did, the family followed suit. That's why the Apostle Peter writes to saved wives whose husbands never converted to give them wisdom how to direct their husband toward God so that without preaching from the wife that he would be influenced by her godly lifestyle. That's the way it was back then. Jesus raised a nobleman's son to life and when that nobleman was saved, the Bible said his whole house believed. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius came to God, he called his family and his near friends together. And when Cornelius received the Spirit, his whole household received the Spirit at the same time. That's the way it happens and should happen today. Lydia was a businesswoman in the city of Philippi. When she was saved, the Lord opened her heart and all of her household was saved, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16. Crispus was a Jewish ruler of the synagogue. And when Crispus believed, all of his house believed with him and they all came to God at the same time and also many people in the city of Corinth. That is the influence of a head of household. When Stephanus believed, Paul baptized him and all of the household of Stephanus, they were the first people that believed in that part of Achaia. That's the influence of a head of house and it's called a household. In the Bible, when a religious leader was going to be identified, a bishop or a deacon, Paul wrote to Timothy and then to Titus and he said, I want you to see how that man conducts himself at home. He should be the husband of one wife 
and faithful to her. He should have hospitality and a competent household manager. He should have parenting skills and his wife should be worthy of respect. That's the kind of man that if he rules his house well, then we would consider him to be a leader in the church households. That's the way it was, that family unit. If you look at the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, they formed the basis, the foundation of every moral society. It was always the Ten Commandments that we went back to. If you looked at the Ten Commandments, they're divided kind of into two broad areas, the first table of the law and the second table of the law. Commandments 1 through 4 tell us about our relationship with God. And commandments 5 through 10 relate to our relationships with other people. And of course, they are spiritual too. But if you look at those six commandments that form the second table of the law, there's something interesting about them. By the way, Jesus said that the great commandment is to love God with all your heart. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, on these two commandments hang All the law and prophets. You can summarize the Ten Commandments with two. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But I want you to look at these second, the second table of the law, these last six commandments, and notice some things about them. The fifth commandment is a family commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. Now, Paul tells us, looking back, that this was the first commandment that also contained a promise that if you'd honor your parents, that God would give you long life. But here's God writing to His people and He tells us something about the home. That if a society is going to go well, has to be built on a home. And if a home is going to be blessed, we need to have children who honor their parents. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, is not uniquely a family commandment. Although the first murder in the Bible was called a fratricide where a brother killed his brother when Cain killed Abel. The seventh commandment is a family commandment. Thou shalt not Commit adultery. This, the seventh commandment, dealt specifically with the home. It is like a sentry, a guard over the family. That when you get married, that you are to be faithful to death to your spouse. Jesus expanded this commandment and said that you shouldn't just avoid the act of adultery, but you should also avoid lust which is committing adultery in your heart. This is for the preservation of the family, that a husband and a wife would love one another and would be faithful to one another. That ensures that children that are born into that home are going to have a mom and a dad that love God, that love each other, and that are preserving the institution of the home. The seventh commandment keeps homes together when it is obeyed. The eighth commandment says thou shalt not steal. Not a family commandment, but certainly important. 
the ninth commandment, excuse me, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, pardon me. The ninth commandment, don't bear false witness, is not specifically a family commandment. But the tenth commandment says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. The Lord said, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to be content with what I give you. Now, coveting is not an act. Coveting is an attitude. All of the previous nine commandments deal with some action. But the 10th commandment is much like the teaching of Jesus that it goes straight to the heart. Not only is it wrong according to the 7th commandment to commit adultery, but the 10th commandment would say, don't just keep your hands off your neighbor's wife, keep your eyes off your neighbor's wife, and keep your heart to your own spouse that God has given you. Commandment 5, commandment 7, commandment 10 can be specifically applied to the family because the family is the heart of a culture. A family is the heart of the church. And God went to great lengths. God said 10 things to society and 6 things about relationships and 3 of them specifically address how to get along in the home and to be content with your husband or your wife and your stuff that God has given you. For godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Safeguards in the home about the family. From Garden of Eden, family. All throughout Old Testament history, family. In the New Testament, households, family. But God did something really special when He formed the church, when He gave us salvation. We understand Jesus died, was buried, rose again, poured out His Spirit. People believed in Acts chapter 2 and were saved by repenting, by being baptized in Jesus' name, by being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, they were saved. But God didn't just make us a conglomerate. He didn't just say, you're saved and I'm saved. He didn't just call it the church. But Paul called it the household of God. He said that the church is more than just a bunch of people that got saved. But when I made a church, I made a family. That you are the household of God. That God brought us into a relationship with Him and with one another. We are the family of God in heaven and in earth. We belong to the family of God. Something very, very special. Now most people, as far as I know, they don't get to pick their family. Brilliant revelation, right? George and Laverne had four kids and my mom and dad and I'm thankful for them, but there are a few times in my life when maybe I thought, man, that guy's parents are rich. Wow, 
That girl's parents let them do anything they want. I wonder if we could like negotiate a swap here. You don't get to pick your parents. And in case you're really feeling kind of worried about that, unless you're adopted, which is a blessing, your parents didn't get to pick you either. You were born, they might have said, oh no. God, let them look better tomorrow than they do today. Now I know, I know, because of our season in life, that grandchildren are God's gift to you for not killing your children. Right? You didn't get to pick your family and your natural family. And you might have been blessed with your family. I feel like I was blessed by my mom and dad and my family. I think in every way. They could have had more money, but besides that, in every way. You know, four kids, small house, carpenter, blue collar or less. That's my family. But I'm so thankful now, in retrospect, I see how God... But you might, you might have not gotten very good parents. They may not have gotten a child with a real compliant nature. You know, James Dobson wrote a book called The Strong-Willed Child and everybody thought it was written about their child. No wonder it was a bestseller. Your parents may have been rich or poor. In Bible times, slave or free. Kind of got, were born into whatever they had. Your family might have been really wise. They might have been a bunch of fools. You might have, your family might have been kind of a whole family, functional and, and fairly rational. Or your family might have been one of those screaming, yelling, throwing things kind of families. You didn't get to pick that. Broken family. Some of you grew up in a family that was saved. You grew up knowing Bible stories saved in church. Some of you grew up in families that were filled with vice and sin and corruption where so much infidelity and craziness and no filters, no safeguards, no, no hedges for your family. is just whatever goes. You didn't have a choice in that. Some of you were raised by educated people. Some of you were raised by kind of ignorant people. And you didn't get to pick that. But when you came into the family of God, where you came from never determines where you get to go. <clears throat> what, what you used to be has no bearing on what you can become. For if any person is in Christ Jesus... They are a new creation. All things pass away and all things become new. You get a new name and a new start and a new family and a new opportunity to rise above what you were and where you came from to become part of the amazing, incredible family of God. 
Amen. It is no accident that in the Old Testament that God spared Rahab. He was a harlot and allowed her to be in the lineage of the Messiah, to be a part of Israel. It is no accident that the Bible gives us examples of people who came from the worst background, but when they found the family of God and the family of God found them, they were born into something better, something new, something good. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 3, 14. This cause I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What does this mean? All those that have gone on before? Yes. But also the family on earth were named after him. Doesn't matter what nation you came from when you were converted, Jews or Gentiles. We all have one name. We've taken the name of Jesus Christ. When we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, his name was applied to my life. I took that family name. It's in heaven and it's in earth. And we all belong to that single family. Households. The family of God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is very specific to talk about this family of God. Ephesians 1 and 5 tells us that we were adopted by Jesus Christ into the family of God. Remember I said the privilege of adoption? I know we're born again by the Spirit. But God chose us. Amen. He so loved us. And let's face it, it was not because of anything we had to offer Him. It was because of what He had to offer us. He loved us when we were dead in our sins. He loved us when we had nothing of value except He made us in His image. And He loved us. And He adopted us. And brought us into the loving family of God. That's what Paul wanted these pagan Gentiles to know that when you got in the church, you joined something that was strong and stable and had a heritage and a legacy. It had strength to it and a foundation. And you may feel rootless and disconnected and disenfranchised. But when you got in the church, you got in the family of God named for Almighty God Himself. Paul talked about this in chapter 2. He said, in time past, those Jews looked down on you. You were without Christ. You were like an alien. You were like a stranger. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, those of you who were sometimes far off were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul told them in chapter 3 that now that you're in the family, you also get an inheritance. Your mom and dad may not have left you anything but bills and some junk that they couldn't sell before they died. But when you got in this family, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You get a share of everything that Jesus 
had coming to him, you've got it coming to you because you're in the family of God. See, in Ephesians, Paul lays down some teaching about the role of a husband and a wife and children. See, in Ephesians 5, that he reminds them that that commandment about honor your father and mother, that fifth commandment, that it is the first commandment with promise. But even there, Paul tells them that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He said, I, this is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. That this natural family on earth is just a mirror of the real family of God. That we belong to Jesus Christ and we are in the household of God. That's what he wrote and that's what I read in Ephesians 2.19. That we are no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In the same way that Abraham was the patriarch of his family and Cornelius was the patriarch of his family in the New Testament. We have got Almighty God as the patriarch of this family. We are part of a family to be proud of and to be thankful for. You're in the family of God. Amen. You know, you might have come from the best family that ever existed. Well, your dad was like the perfect dad, loving, provider, protector of the home. Mom guided the home in tender, loving care, sweet, with strong discipline. You might have had siblings you got along perfectly, never fought at all. I don't really know a home like that. I know good homes, but, but not quite like perfect homes. And you know, most people don't come from ideal homes. I have pastor friends that in conversation will say, you know, there's just no more good sinners. That means... Now, when people come to God, they're just all messed up these days. Not everybody. There's a lot of people that come to church because they're just sick of their life. Just today, someone told me to pray for them. They visited our church, but they need God because their life needs a lot of help. And are you glad that God didn't screen us he didn't make us fill out an application. He didn't ask us what we had to bring to the table. He just said, I loved you when you were dead in your sins. When there was nothing good in you, I loved you for what I could do for you. I loved you because I created you. I died for you because I loved you. And I said, come on in to my family. Bring your brokenness. Bring your dysfunction. Bring your issues. Bring your addictions. Bring your problems. Bring your broken past. Bring your baggage into the family of God. That's what this family is all about. 
Now, as I said earlier in this month, the family of God has always included widows and widowers. We've always had orphans, single parents, people who are single by choice or by circumstances. We've always had parents who cannot have children. The family of God is people who in their natural world, the Bible calls them solitary. They don't have really anybody that they can call family. But when they come to this family, no matter who they are, where they've been, or what they've done, we tell them as soon as they find the Lord, that you need to go to a class called Welcome to the Family. We didn't just arbitrarily pick that name. We really mean that. That we want you to integrate yourself into the life of the church. To connect yourself to this family. To commit to a function in this family. You say, I'm not qualified. My life is in shambles. We understand that. You should have known some of us just a little while ago before Jesus found us and saved us and washed us and cleansed us and put us back together again. Some of us look like Humpty Dumpty that all the king's horses had given up on us and all the king's men couldn't put us back together again. But Jesus could and Jesus did. Welcome to the amazing, incredible family of God. That's who we are. Amen. And I know I'm being just a little bit repetitious right now. But you may have been abandoned or disowned by your family. You might have grown up neglected and abused. Your earthly family may have kicked you out and disowned you when you joined this family. And it happens. When you look back and study your family history and you try to go down all the branches of your family tree, maybe all you can find is a lot of rotten branches. <clears throat> A lot of failure and a lot of dysfunction for you. That may be your past. And if I look into my family tree a couple generations back, that's all that's there. In my family, I don't think there's any nobility. No one's leaving us millions or billions of dollars. But I got in this family. And when I did, everything changed. And I want you to know that whoever you are and however unworthy you may feel, whatever baggage you bring to this family, that God is a forgiving God. And He has power to heal your life and to put you back together again. All of your failed attempts at building your own family. 
all the mistakes you've made and all the mistakes that somebody made and took it out on you. I can't change your history, but God can change your destiny. In this family, we care for one another like brothers and sisters. And we share all of life together. We celebrate our successes and we grieve together in our losses. We get together as a family. We come to Jesus Christ through His plan of salvation, of repenting, being baptized, being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you need a family like that, I want to tell you, welcome to the amazing family of God. Would you just thank the Lord right now? I love you. Now would you bow your head and we're going to pray together right now. Lord, I come in Jesus' name. For Lord, only you know how we feel inside. And my observation, Lord, of working with people for many years is to know, Lord, that we all have our insecurities. We all feel our inferiorities. It seems like life, Lord, seems to magnify our imperfections. Even your word said that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm talking, Lord, today to people who by and large do not feel worthy enough to be a part of something so great as the amazing family of God. I pray today, Lord, that you would let this church be a healthy church of people who came to you broken were healed by the precious saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, follow your teaching to find our place in our natural family and in the spiritual family of God. I pray that you would help us know your love, Lord, that is boundless and generous. The person today, Lord, that is wondering if they are loved at all. We know, Lord, that we are accepted in the beloved, that we have received the perfection that you displayed. and God sees us through your blood. And we are made whole and holy by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Save us today. Heal us today. I pray, God, against Maybe generations, Lord, of brokenness and neglect and abuse. I pray, O oh Lord God, that we would find in you what we never found in an earthly family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need to have repentant forgiveness of sins, I want to give you an opportunity to ask the Lord to forgive you right now. 
If you have harbored bitterness toward your family, maybe because of divorce or abuse or neglect, for whatever reason it may be, you've carried that like as a grudge. I want to assure you that while you may feel that you're punishing them, you're really punishing yourself. And the only way to be free is to forgive them and ask God to forgive you. One of my deep concerns as a pastor is that people come to God and they have forgiveness of sins. But then they, they hobble through life with all of the brokenness they brought to this family never being healed by the great healer Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that we're all shaped by our past. That as I said, it doesn't determine your destiny. But you, don't, you don't have to go through your whole life messed up and passing it on to the next generation. Whatever dysfunction may have surrounded you in your past, why don't you let the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God heal your mind and your spirit? Why don't you allow the Lord to just wash away, wash away years of hurt? Why don't you release that person that you're holding hostage? Release them into the hands of God. If you've spent a lot of time beating yourself up because you knew better or should have done better, then today why don't you say, Lord, if you forgave me, my standard is not higher than yours. And if you could forgive me, then I can forgive myself. And why don't you let go of the things that you have done wrong in your life and let Jesus Christ heal you all the way to your spirit. Yeah, he can go to your mind, to your emotions, to your spirit. He can heal you. He can go into your past because he's not bound by time. He can go to the time and place he can go to the incident of hurt or abuse. And he can go back there and he can heal you. And he can do it today. And his word can help you think differently about yourself and others and him. So before we even stand, I want us to pray right now. You may want to lift your hands or open your heart but I certainly want you to pray out loud. And whatever it is that you need, would you talk to Jesus about it right now? Everyone, everywhere. You may be praying for someone else, but go ahead and do that out loud right now.
That's it. That's it. Go ahead. I know sometimes when I say Father, that means something bad to you. But your heavenly Father has never wronged you. Would you say thank you? I have a heavenly Father. He's looking down on you and saying, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. He loves you. He's pleased with you. Would you accept that right now? Accept the love of God right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.